Hello, my name is Chris Pollock. I'm one of the pastors at the 8th Street Church in Oklahoma City, and I want to welcome you to this week in the way of Jesus. As we are in the first week in the season of Lent, I want to invite you into the practice of practicing solitude. I want Jesus to walk with me. I want Jesus to walk with me all along my pilgrim journey, Lord. I want Jesus to walk with me. Lent is a holy season and is a 40-day journey that takes us through the life, ministry, and the death of Jesus of Nazareth. And that journey begins in a wilderness where Jesus was tempted by the devil. Hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for forty days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed him all the kingdoms of the world, In a moment of time, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine. They're mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him up to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Brant Hale writes of a conversation she had with her almost four-year-old little boy after he came home from Sunday school one afternoon. He reported to her that his teacher told the children the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. That's when he said, Hey mom, what do you know about the devil? 
That one threw her for a loop. As a trained theologian, she was tempted to begin with Augustine, or couch her answer in terms of conservative or progressive liberal translations of the biblical text, or to discuss process theology. But then she remembered he was only three. What do you know about the devil, she asked. That's when he leaned in and continued with a whisper. If we were in a store, and you and Dad were in one aisle, and I was in another aisle, and there was candy, the devil would say, you should take some. I think this is the way we read the text, and we perceive it. We do so like a three-year-old. Temptation to do wrong lies out in front of us, and the devil is whispering in our ear to trip us up. But is that really the essence of this text? I mean, it can't be, right? This is not a children's tale. It's not meant to be a fable to incite good behavior. It's the gospel. So it must be more than a moral lesson that changes our behavior. It has to be good news that changes us, our lives, somehow. In my sorrow, Lord, walk with me. We know not to take things from the store without paying for them, even when no one is looking. That's just not right. It's clearly a sin to steal. But I've always thought that the three temptations that Jesus faced were kind of stupid. What's wrong with turning stones into bread when you haven't eaten for days upon days? I mean, does God want Jesus to starve? And who's going to bow to the devil? I mean, he's not exactly trustworthy or has a great track record for keeping promises. And why would anyone who was sober think that jumping off a temple, hoping that angels were going to catch them, was a good idea? I never really understood why these are sins and why they were so tempting. And maybe that is just why we, members of organized societies and members of the human race, need to hear and understand this story. Because frankly, we have given in to each of these temptations, maybe without even knowing. there are three characters in this scene? Jesus and the devil are obvious, but there's another character that lies in the shadows. He's a major player at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. He was a major figure in first century Palestine, and he shaped the early life of Jesus of Nazareth. His name was Herod. He was a king, and he had everything he ever needed. And Luke writes about him so that readers can see that he is the antithesis, the opposite in every way of the new king, Jesus of Nazareth. At the beginning of his ministry, when he was ready to inaugurate the new incoming kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness 
And there the mean old devil says to him, taste this, it will satisfy you. I can help you worship me. Come, trust me, jump off the temple and I'll catch you. And Jesus resisted the devil. He doesn't buy in. But Herod has. He says yes to every single one of the temptations Jesus refuses. When the devil whispers to Herod, go ahead, take the power, it's yours, he does it. He says yes to controlling people by controlling their food. That's the first temptation. Herod knows that the one who controls the food resources controls the people. Herod says yes to the lusts that promise to let him rule the world. This is the second temptation. Those in power have sold their souls to the devil, and they are master manipulators of narrative, manifest destiny, just war theories, nationalistic interests that take priority. Herod even said, let me know where he is so that I can come and worship him. Herod also stands on the top of the temple so that angels might catch him in glory for all the people to see. This is the third temptation. Those in power use religion to propagate political agendas. Herod certainly did. He spent millions rebuilding the Jewish temple to pacify the people. We've heard religious statements made by politicians in every generation, made by Donald Trump Jr., Hillary Clinton, Jerry Falwell, Mike Huckabee, Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, all for political purposes. Herod is not the only one who has given in to these temptations. These are exactly the temptations that Vladimir Putin has given into as he has justified the attack of Ukraine. This is the temptation CEOs face as they have to decide between their bottom line and their stock prices dropping or pulling out of a nation that is at this very moment committing acts of genocide. These are the temptations that college presidents face as they have to decide between taking money from constituents who insist that one-sided curriculum needs to be taught or risking the doors being closed at their school. These are the temptations pastors have faced as they are urged to keep quiet about hot topic issues. These temptations are the very basics that every society and every individual faces. Herod represents us, and we've all given in to these temptations. I think that's why Lori Brandt Hale's son, that's why his interpretation of this text is so profound for us. It occurred to her to ask her little boy if he understood the point of Luke's story, the one that he heard in Sunday school. So she asked him, honey, if we were at a store and dad and I were in one aisle and you were in another aisle and there was some candy, and the devil said, you should take some. What would you say back to the devil? She then said, a genuinely sweet grin lit up his entire face and without hesitation, he replied, oh, I would say, Thank you. Like this little boy, when it comes to what is offered to us by the devil, like Herod, like this little boy, 
we just grin and say thank you. But this is good news. And the good news is this, that in the wilderness, Jesus stands in stark contrast to Herod. His responses come with a full knowledge that obedience to God will bring persecution, misunderstanding, and the cross. This is what the season of Lent does for us. It causes us to pause and to take inventory, to see things as they really are, and to acknowledge the reality of our own sin. That's why this week's weekly practice is taking on moments of solitude. Practicing solitude is not about being alone. It's about being with yourself and attentive to what is going on inside you and your world. In the wilderness, Jesus practiced solitude. And this might be a little bit of an interpretive stretch on my part, but I suspect that he was able to see and hear things clearly so that he might be able to discern what was real and good and true, and also what was evil and harmful, because he was able to lay down distractions. That is one of the reasons we fast something during Lent. That is why we lay down noise and we pick up quiet. In her book, Living the Way of Jesus, our friend and former pastor, Reverend Mikhail Levine, gives some direction as to how we can practice solitude. She invites us to spend this week practicing solitude for 30 minutes each day. The way that she says to do this is to find a comfortable place to sit and just spend those moments focused on what you feel, what's going on inside your life, what your worries are, and how you are susceptible to temptation. At the end of the experience, at the end of the 30 minutes, take what you felt or heard or understood as Jesus along with God and the Holy Spirit was present with you. Now, maybe you don't know what to do during that time, and maybe you've never sat for 30 minutes of solitude ever in your whole life. That's okay. Pastor Mikhail gives some ways for us to practice solitude. She says, while in solitude, ask Jesus this question, Lord, what do you want to free me of? And keep returning to this question when you feel your mind wander. You may feel anxious, she says. You may think of a million things to do that would be a better use of your time. You may even feel guilty for doing nothing. Don't take the bait. If the practice is challenging, you're probably doing it right. She also says, notice all that is in your mind and heart, but don't rush to action. Simply observe what is in you and listen to what Jesus wants to say to you about it. These might be the things from that which Jesus wants to free you. So friends, may you know the freedom that comes to you when your eyes are open to the temptations around you. And may you be set free from the evil that comes your way. Thank you for joining us this week as we learn to live the way of Jesus together. I pray and I hope the grace and peace you need in this season might be yours today. Amen. 